And, um, of course, we're into, into books that we're more familiar with um, than, say, Zechariah and Malachi and Haggai and some of those that we've been through. But look, don't let familiarity um, cause you to just overlook things. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. And uh, those Roman prisons were um, not a favorable place to be. He was imprisoned because of his um, faith in Jesus Christ and his preaching. And his ministries may have appeared to been hindered because he was put in prison. But um, some even, while he was put in prison, used that as an occasion to to question his character. We've seen that already in in Corinthians and Galatians. Well, Paul's not really an apostle, and he isn't telling you all these things. But regardless of that, God opened to him great doors. And um, although he was in a dungeon, you would never know it in his heart his mind, and his spirit. I mean, you'll read these um, letters that he penned from prison, and and you won't find any uh, self-pity, any praying for me because I have it so rough. In fact, he, he goes on in some and says, uh, this is good, these things have happened to me, for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's writing to these believers from prison, a dungeon, and um, he's praising God. The book of Ephesians doesn't give any commendation to the church at Ephesus per se, nor does it give any condemnation. But he's leading them, he's teaching them, and he begins... To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined 
according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, these letters that, that Paul wrote, he um, has definite purposes in them. And uh, in Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, uh, they were a developmental phrase of Christ in you. Now, beginning in, in the book of Ephesians, it is this aspect of teaching us about the indwelling of Christ, what we have in Christ, and he gives doctrine in the first three chapters. In the last three chapters, he gives how that doctrine ought to work out of our lives, and he was reminding the believers that they have everything they need for godly living right now has already been given to them. And he was calling attention to them to the blessings that God has poured out upon them. You notice in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He, he mentions also in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In chapter 3 and verse 8, he talks about the unsearchable riches that, that God has given to us. And uh, also in chapter 3 and verse 16, the riches of the glory of God that has been given to us. So the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ call... Paul is praising God for these things, but I just want to quickly call our attention to these. Notice in verse 1, or or chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. One of the great spiritual blessings that we have as believers is that we are chosen. Paul says that God has chosen us in him. Realize the truth of this matter. Um, I, I grew up the youngest of four boys, okay? And so my life was spent um, trying to earn my older brother's acceptance and hanging out with them. And, and hanging out meaning... We didn't just hang out. We went and played ball, and we were always out doing something, okay? And um, and I'd always be the last one picked on a team because I was the little runt. Well, okay, we'll take Dan. You know, there's an out right there. We'll take him. And so that made me think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show them that I'm not an out, you know, or I'm not a liability or whatever, and... And so that's kind of how I grew up. God has purpose and plans in all that. And there were times I was a liability. And every once in a while, there were times they'd, they'd 
Oh, wow, he can actually do something, you know, but very few and far. And those of you in families know that kind of follows you all your life, doesn't it, okay? Some of you older siblings, you just made the rest of us tougher than you are right there, okay? So um any rate, but to be chosen, and some of you are already having a conniption about, oh boy, where is he going with this? Here's where I'm going with this, clear and concise. God has chosen believers. I believe in the election of God, and I believe in the free will of man. And you say, you can't do that. I can believe in that. You can't put it all together. You're right. I can't wrap my mind around it, and you can't wrap your mind around it. But God has no problem with it. And someday we will understand it all, and it's a waste of your time to try to wrap your mind around it. Just say, God, thank you that you have chosen me. And and Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm not going to camp here. That's it in a nutshell. God has it all figured out. Someday we'll know about it. But rejoice that, that as a believer in Christ, you are chosen. But let's, let's go on. Notice what he said in verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Every one of us have a a hall of shame. Every one of us have many things in our life that we don't even want to remember. And we don't want anybody else to know about. But before God, we are holy without sin and without blame. Think of that. That's what we are in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, He has forgiven our sins. We are without sin And without blame. Notice verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. We were born into this world as enemies of God, living in rebellion. But in his mercy, his grace worked in our lives and he called us to him. And by grace we are saved, taught in Ephesians chapter 2. And we are adopted into God's family. We are, are made children of God. We were, we were orphans. We were fatherless and homeless, if you please. And God in His mercy said, come into my family. You are adopted with full rights and citizenship. And you are brought into my family. He's reminding them of these spiritual blessings. Then he says in verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are adopted into the family, but we are accepted. Sometimes individuals may be adopted into a family, but... Maybe there's some aspects of the family that don't accept them. We are adopted into the family and accepted. 
You've all been in situations where you feel like the fifth wheel, where you're not accepted for whatever reason. Listen, don't worry about acceptance in this world. You are accepted in the Beloved. He loves you. He adopted you into his family. He sees you as holy and blameless before him. You're accepted, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means we were bound in the slavery of sin. And he paid the price to buy us out of the slavery of sin and give us freedom in Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. He paid the price to buy us out of slavery. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he said, redeemed, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he forgiven our sins. Buried in the depths of the deepest sea, never to bring them up again, never to to throw them in our face. We are forgiven. And he's reminding them of all these things. Notice verses 8 and 9. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and And understanding. In Christ, we are brought to wisdom. We are brought to understanding. When you come to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, we saw in 2 Corinthians, we're a new creature. We we see things differently. You begin to see the big picture of things. And he gives you wisdom. The Spirit of God dwells within us. We're given wisdom and understanding as we walk in the Spirit. And then he says in verse 11 that we are, we, in him, in Jesus Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance. So, all these things that we've already mentioned, on top of that, I am, I, my name is on a paper with a great, great inheritance that the government can't ever tax either, alright? So the reality, I mean, I have, I have much to look forward to. Not just that I'm adopted and accepted and my sins are forgiven. I am brought to this great inheritance and I have much to look forward to. And verse 13, this that he has brought me to is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not something I keep myself in. It's not something that is up to my own efforts. The Spirit of God has sealed me in this. So I am chosen. I, before God, am holy and without blame. I'm adopted. I, I have God as my everlasting Father. I'm accepted. I am bought back from slavery. My sins are forgiven. He brings me to wisdom and understanding. I have a great inheritance, and I am kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that, we are rich. I don't care if you have two nickels to rub together or not. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are rich. 
These are the blessings. Things may go wrong in this life, but come back to realize this is what I have in Jesus Christ. But Paul is emphasizing this to them, but it isn't for us to just stand around and say, man, look at this. I am adopted. I am accepted in the beloved. I have forgiveness of sins. Praise God. I have all of these things. You're going to see as you read through the book of Ephesians that God did all this and he has a bigger purpose for us. It's not just to save us. It's not just to adopt us into his family. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings to minister in our lives and then to use us to minister in others' lives. He talks about, you will read about, the mystery of the church. Simply that means, the mystery means something that had been hidden, for example, in the Old Testament, and now is revealed in the New Testament. And he's talking about the church. We've seen, um, as we look through Corinthians and Galatians, that God places a heavy emphasis on the church. And, and now Paul is teaching them. It's not a mystery anymore. The gospel has been taken to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the book of Ephesians, as you read it, and again, I want to say there's only six chapters. Read through it as many times as you can this week, okay? That will prepare you for Wednesday night. It will minister God's Word in your life. But as you read it, you will note that he uses many um, illustrations to help them understand the purpose of the church. Notice in chapter 1. And verse 22, chapter 1 and verse 22. And we're just going to look at a few of these illustrations that he used. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he says the church is a body. We are the body of Christ. Our body, without taking much time, is an amazing, amazing piece of work that has all these different members working together under the direction of the head. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And we... As individual members who have been adopted and accepted and redeemed, we are made to be part of that body. And that means that we ought to be working together as a team. A week ago, or a little over a week ago, a new world record was set in running a marathon, 26.2 miles, was run the first time anyone had ever run that in under two hours. This event was set up for a guy by the name of um, Elad Chipchong. He's from Kenya. He ran it in one hour, 59 
minutes and 40 seconds. That equates to 4.34 miles an hour. To help you, some of you understand it, if you go out to Reynolds Field and you run around the track once, that's 400 meters, okay? He averaged running around the track once at 68.5 seconds. I asked Chasen. Where's Chasen? He's helping in Children's Church. I know Chasen runs. I said, Chasen, what's your fastest time in the 400 meter? He said, 51 seconds. I said, wow, that's good. This guy ran 68.5 seconds 105 times. That's the equivalent to, to help you put it into put it into perspective here. But I want you to understand this was something that it took a, an entire community to do this. If you watch the event, there there were groups of pacemakers that were made up of 41 elite, elite athletes. Some of them Olympic champions, some of them world champions, and they served as pacemakers to run alongside or ahead of him. As they ran, they also helped shield him from the wind to conserve his energy. He had a personal assistant who rode on a bike, handing him fluids throughout the race. The bottles were kept and were recorded to see how much he drank in order to ensure he was properly hydrated. He had coaches and fans cheering him along the way. Engineers designed specific shoes for him to to be able to run. And all of them came together as a team to accomplish that world record. It wasn't just him. You know, you, you can't emphasize enough the importance of God saved you to participate on a team in a local church for the glory of God. And until we come to realize that, I, I'll see if I can get this. The only reason I have my phone here is because I couldn't figure out and I'm not sure I – here is a, a football player that came back to his college and spoke to the college players before their game. And um, let me see if I, can, if I can get this here, okay? He had just said his coach – I'm not playing the whole thing. His coach said, I want you to go so hard, if you can't come off the field – I will come carry you off the field. And he said, when he said that, he said, I knew he cared about me, but we're picking it up there. I know what you're going to do. I know. Oh. I may have just blown it. But I love you enough that if you can't make it off this field, I'll come out there myself and I'll carry you off. And I felt like he was somebody that I could go to battle with. Right? Like, that's what this is all about, fellas. It's about going to battle with your family. You guys are family. I love you, right? I'm going to give it all I have. I'm going to give it all I got for you. I love you. I'm going to give it all I got. 
right? I'm going to sacrifice my body on every single plate for you because I love you. You're my brother. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what you got to do. That's what football is all about. It's not just about going out and winning games. It's bigger than that, right? And you got to hone in. You got you to love it so much that you are willing to give up your body for your brother. Would to God we had that in Christianity. That, that's for a football game. That it's not going to matter a year from now. And that's what God designed as a body. That, that we loved each other enough. No man hates his own body, the Bible tells us. And, and that we would, would be committed to working together. Look at, I am redeemed. I am accepted. For what purpose? To get in here in God's body and work and serve and love and give for the glory of God. That's all Paul's talk, talking about through this. The reality of this. <clears throat> you know, Working together as a body. John Wesley and George Whitfield were two spiritual giants in the 1700s. Perhaps the greatest preachers of all time. But they had a terrible altercation between the two of them that they carried on through writing. Where they literally just roasted each other. George Whitfield and John Wesley, and it finally came to an end. Here is part of the letter that George Whitfield wrote to John Wesley. Again, they're in this heated battle. My honored friend and brother, for once, hearken to a child who is willing to wash your feet. I beseech you by the mercies of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Write no more about the misrepresentations wherein we differ. Will it not in the end destroy brotherly love and insensibly take us from that cordial union and sweetness of soul which I pray God may always subsist between us? How glad would be the enemies of the Lord to see us divided. Honored sir... Let us offer salvation freely to all by the blood of Jesus, and whatever light God has communicated us, let us freely communicate it to others. Notice, that is a spirit of humility, that is a spirit of love for the sake of the well-being of the body. And he was, he said, let's put these away. We are, we are a body that's fighting against each other. That, that's called cancer. That's called disease. And Paul said, you are blessed with all these spiritual blessings to be used in the body. Another term that he uses, chapter 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building, being fitly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He says, we are the church, is a temple that God is building. So, the body, we are a team that is working together. The temple, we are a work of God. And Jesus Christ is laid, it's the chief cornerstone, it is the basis, the way you plumb every aspect of the building for accuracy and and squareness. Jesus Christ is laid, and God has been building this, and, and he has you. You have been chosen in him, and he's putting you as a brick. I'm not calling you brickheads. I'm one too, okay? We are, we are stones, living stones that he is placing in the body. And he is building a great work. And you get to be a part of it. You, you get to, to be the one who the hands of God are at work in your life, shaping, informing you, but now in your life, putting you in this. We are part of some, that's why I don't bring my phone here, it just beeped, okay? But we are part of something much, much bigger than you or I, much bigger than 2019, much bigger than this entire century, we are part of something eternal. And he says, the key to this is submit. Let God put you where he wants you. To resist and kick against the pricks, let the master, the master mason build his building and put you and don't compare. How come he gets to be over there by a window and I'm stuck down here in the dungeon? Let God do the working. He said, you are saved to be a part of the body. You are saved to be a part of the temple. And then he says in Ephesians chapter 5, time is running out, but the verses are given on the overhead. He, he says the church is the bride of Christ. There, I have come... You can thank God. God is still working on me, and he's not done yet. But I have come to to value and enjoy weddings, okay? You can't imagine how far it is that I've come because um, I didn't used to, except my wedding I enjoyed, okay? And speaking of which, um, there's going to be a wedding coming up. There's a ring that's shining back here. Leah, you congratulate her. Leah Rutz is engaged. But you know what? At a wedding, the bride, everyone waits. And then when dad brings the bride in, everyone's looking. I mean, Ben and Sarah, they didn't care about Ben being up there, did they, Ben? It was Sarah coming down the aisle. And this is you. We make up the bride of Christ. And, and, and it's always interesting to me to, to watch the young man. And then when he sees the bride, that's my wife. 
And the, the uniqueness of this, we are the bride of Christ. We are the apple of his eye. We are beautiful and set apart for Christ. Now, I know a lot of you men say, I don't, I don't want to be beautiful. Just a minute, man. We're going to get to one other thing. But, okay, that's fine. Don't think about that. But think about you are set apart for Christ. When the bride and groom come, they say, I am committed to you and you alone. There is an exclusiveness that makes this union unique. And we are the bride of Christ. And we are committed to be committed to him and him alone. And we are beautiful in his eyes. You may say, I don't feel beautiful. It doesn't matter. This is how God sees you. You are the bride of Christ. And then, man, this is one you can relate to. In Ephesians chapter 6, he likens us unto warriors. We're not going to take the time... But in the beginning in verse 10, all the way down through verse 19, he says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this world. And he said, Put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the battle. And he saved us, and he forgave our sins, and he adopted us into his family. And he's given us all these blessings, not so we can say, wow, look at all these blessings. My pockets are full and flowing over. No, so we can go be warriors for God. So we can stand for truth and represent truth. And in the spiritual warfare that's going on, that we can walk in victory so that we can endure the battle and endure in the Bible means cheerfully endure, to, to joyfully bear up under. So, here you have it. You are saved, and, and you are part of God's body. You are the temple of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are a warrior. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And notice if you'd look in verse 10. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel, verse 10 of Ephesians 3. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look down at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God saved you, gave you all those spiritual blessings, and he said, I want you to function in this And there should be great glory in the church that people would say, wow, look look how they behave. Look how they respond to adversity. Wow. And that it would glorify God by what he does in our life. 
But he didn't intend that to happen individually. He intended that to happen collectively as a church. Because there comes times when our hands grow weak and our spirit is feeble. And we need to come alongside and lift up each other. We need to be the body. We need to be the team that says, you're my brother. I don't care what. If I have to sacrifice, I love you. And the reality of, of doing that so that the world says, man, they've got something I don't have. The world isn't saying that today about churches. Oh, another church split? Doesn't surprise me. People don't like each other? Absolutely. We're different as night and day, but we have this thing in common, Jesus Christ. And he is the reality that binds us together. He gave us all these spiritual blessings, and he says, I want you to use it in the body, building the temple. You are the bride of Christ. Act like it. You are set apart for Christ and Christ alone, and you are a warrior left in this world to rouse then soldier, rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. It's so important for us to realize Ephesians teaches us the way to help people is most by dealing with unseen issues in our own lives of unity and love and holiness and prayer. We are part of God's eternal plan. And to see God's power at work in us, there will be conflicts. Do we solve them biblically? There are issues Do we have the power of God at work in our life? You are blessed with all spiritual blessings beyond that you could ever imagine. And God says, now go act like it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to truly understand the riches of the blessings that you have brought us to in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there is one here today who has never called upon you for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, I pray today that they would come to know forgiveness of sins, adoption into your family by calling on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that that we that know you would realize you blessed us with all these blessings, not for a selfish purpose, but to use us in the lives of this body, in the lives of others that you bring into our lives. And Lord, may we rejoice to work together as a body. May we rejoice to be a part of, of your eternal work As you are the chief cornerstone, may we take great comfort and purity in being the bride of you. And Lord, may we battle the battles that we face as a faithful soldier of you. Lord, we need your power. You've given us everything. May we walk in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.